Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Now, I have posted and emailed my world-famous gravy recipe for Thanksgiving. Now, here's something you need to know. I have, I'm not kidding when I tell you that um, it is, it is the most requested recipe I have ever in my life gotten. Um, It is the most requested recipe. I have gotten emails from every part of planet Earth for this recipe. I've gotten emails from Australia. I've gotten emails from Dubai. I've gotten emails from uh, where else? Uh, Great Britain and from Switzerland and from Canada, among other places, for this recipe. Uh, I, I I wish I could tell you that it wasn't a great gravy recipe, but I'm telling you, it is the greatest gravy recipe that you will get, and all of your friends and family will beg you to make it if you want it. Let me make sure I'm. this is working. 33777 is the number, and you text the word recipe. And when you do that, you will get an email back with a link to the recipes. You can sign up and get them by email. Or you can see them uh, right then and there. Uh, you'll see the gravy recipe on the website. Now, here's something you need to know. This is the most important thing. If you want my gravy recipe, you text the word recipe to 33777. And when you make it, you will see it requires a finely chopped sweet onion. You chop it very fine. And you cook it in a stick of butter on the stove. I'm not kidding you. I've talked to recipe authors about this, cookbook authors, and they tell me that the two things that are always lies in cookbooks are prep time and the time to brown an onion. Why? Because to adequately brown an onion on medium heat, it takes about 20 minutes. That's 20 extra minutes. You read the recipe, they say five to 10 minutes. That is BS. That is horse manure. It takes 20 to 25 minutes to adequately, decently brown an onion without burning it. But if you know that, are you going to make the recipe, the 30-minute recipe? No, you're not going to make the recipe that's billed as being made in 30 minutes or less because the cookbook's lying to you so you'll give the recipe a try. And when you get started and you've gotten all the goods out and you're browning the onion, you're not going to stop the recipe. It's going to take you an hour, not 30 minutes, but you're not going to stop. Recipes lie. So I'm being honest. In this recipe, if you want really good gravy, really good gravy for Thanksgiving, You brown that onion for 20 minutes on medium heat. You get it good and reduced. And then you add the flour. Now, here's the other part here you need to know. The flour in the gravy, you do not add it to water. That's one reason you brown the onion so well. You get all the water out of the onion. If you add flour to water, you're going to get paper mache. If you add flour to oil... The oil soaks into the flour. So when you add your turkey stock, it's going to get all, it's not going to get clumped up. You're going to have smooth gravy. If you put flour into water, you get lumpy gravy. If you put flour into oil, particularly butter, 
you get a smooth, delicious gravy. If you want this recipe, all you got to do is text the word recipe to 33777. I'll send you back a link. You can put in an email address for all the other recipes. But if you then scroll that site, you will see the gravy recipe. More about gravy than you wanted to know, but it's science. Flour absorbs oil. Flour and water do not mix. It takes a lot of time for flour to soak in water. Very easy to get in in oil. And then it doesn't generate gluten either, so it doesn't get tough. So there's what you needed to know. Now, while I was saying this, there's some breaking news. I can handle breaking news. This is like breaking news. Big time just happened, breaking news. Uh, Bruce Schroeder is the judge of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Bruce Schroeder has banned MSNBC from the courtroom. Why? Because uh, someone claiming to be a producer, this is from Mediaite, uh, from Leah Idlibby at Mediaite. The ban comes after someone claiming to be a producer for NBC News was taken into custody after they were suspected of trying to photograph jurors, according to the Kenosha Police Department. The jury in this case is being transported from a different location in a bus with windows covered so that they aren't exposed to anything on one side or the other or interest in the case. So essentially a sealed bus. It's been done every day, and then they're brought into the building, according to Schroeder. Last evening, a person who identified himself as James G. Morrison and who claimed that he was a producer with MSNBC, uh, employed by MSNBC, the police, when they stopped him because he was following in the distance and went through a red light, they pulled him over and inquired what was going on, and he gave that information. Morrison allegedly told the police he was instructed to follow the jury bus by his boss in New York, identified as Irene Bayan, the person who reportedly attempted to take photographs of the jury, but according to the Kenosha Police Department, no pictures of the jurors were actually taken. The judge says this is a serious matter. I don't know what the ultimate truth of it is, but ultimately it would go without much thinking that someone who is following a jury bus that is very serious, extremely serious, and will be referred to the proper authorities for further action. He then revealed he had instructed that no one from MSNBC News will be permitted in the building for the duration. Also sharing that no one at MSNBC had heard of Morrison. Channel 5 Chicago has confirmed an NBC producer was the party involved Thursday morning. Wow. That's happening now uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, as the jury continues its deliberations. Now, here's what's going to happen here, just so you know, as a programming note. If, if the jury renders a verdict and comes back, if I'm in the middle of a monologue, I will stop my monologue and let you know what happens. Now, my suspicion is that the jury may finish up by tomorrow because they want to get out of there for Thanksgiving week. Um, The the verdict could come as early as today, uh, but may come tomorrow. I I will keep an eye out. Uh, Charlie will keep an eye out. Uh, And if you want to call in here, 877-973-7425, we've got to move on because there is some other news out there Uh, that is happening that the Democrats are none too happy about. The Joint Committee on Taxation of the United States Senate has rendered its verdict on the language of Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. 
It turns out, and by the way, I should note, this is a nonpartisan analysis. It's neither the Republican analysis nor the Democratic analysis. They have a bunch of academic nonpartisan wonks who run the numbers for the Committee on Taxation. And it turns out that two-thirds of the people who make a million dollars or more will get a tax cut under Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. Now, this is problematic for a number of reasons. The reason they get a tax cut is the SALT deduction. The SALT deduction is the state and local taxation option. In the past, you could deduct all of the money you paid in state and, federal, in state and local taxes on your federal income tax return. Under uh, Donald Trump's reforms, it was capped at uh, a certain amount, and it overwhelmingly impacted millionaires and billionaires. The moderates in the House of Representatives have said they will not support Build Back Better unless the SALT deduction is in there because the moderate Democrats are perfectly happy with big spending, but they've got a bunch of millionaires and billionaires in New York, New Jersey, Chicago, and California who voted them into office, and they want to help their millionaires and billionaires. The irony here is it's the Democrats who are the ones who are suddenly in favor of getting tax cuts to the wealthy. They want to bring salt in. And this, by the way, is leaving the progressives upset. The progressives, including Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in the Senate, do not want to give millionaires and billionaires a massive tax cut. And they will be giving them a very significant tax cut if they pass this plan. Now, the question that the uh, progressives are going to have to ask themselves is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? They have cut their plan from their initial ask, remember, was $5 trillion. They got down to $3 trillion. Joe Manchin told them they would have to come down to $1.5 trillion. They came down ultimately to $1.75 trillion, and Joe Manchin came up a little bit. Is it worth it to the progressives that they're going to be rewarding a bunch of rich people in order to get not even half of what they originally wanted. Some of them will say yes, because they think they will pass something significant. The problem is they're passing a big spending bill, but it's a big, a big spending bill that doesn't do as much as they wanted and takes a bunch now of half measures. And the really big thing they wanted was the Green New Deal, and the Green New Deal has largely been excised from it. There are parts of it that will be in there, but not a ton of it in there. And it's going to end badly in the hands of the voters one way or the other, and Republicans will be able to undo a lot of it. See, here's the thing. Remember, reconciliation is whatever you decide to change in the federal budget has to be balanced out with either cuts or tax increases, spending cuts or tax increases. It's got to be a net wash. It can't impact the budget. So by giving the millionaires and billionaires a tax cut, they make it very easy for the Republicans to come in, restore that, increase that tax, and then reprioritize and get rid of the Green New Deal. And the Democrats right now are so freaked out about Joe Biden's popularity that they're starting to realize Republicans very easily could get elected in 2024. Ron DeSantis, the polling shows, is one of the most popular governors in the nation. You would never know that from the media coverage. 
In fact, I got to I gotta give DeSantis A-plus on trolling. Ron DeSantis is going to sign uh, a piece of Florida legislation that prohibits a lot of vaccine mandates, and he's going to the Florida town of Brandon to do it. A-plus on trolling. I'm not a big fan of trolling in politics, but, man, that made me laugh when I heard it. Uh, good for him. And the Democrats are a little worried. I mean, this is why they're piling on Ron DeSantis so much. They're worried he could be a contender in 2024. The number of Republicans who don't want Trump to run again continues to inch up. It's now at 40%. And by 2024, who knows where it'll be? And the Democrats are starting to worry about the alternatives because if DeSantis runs, for example, he's got Florida in the bag. That gives him uh, a large number of electoral college votes out out of the gate. That concerns the Democrats because who do they got? Kabbalah or Buttigieg, neither of whom seems to be a contender. And now you got these Democrats trying to give a bunch of tax breaks to millionaires and billionaires in New York and California, and the Republicans can use those tax breaks to completely undo the Green New Deal and the rest of it when they take back power. Now, some of you say, well, the Republicans will never do that. You get Ron DeSantis in or someone like him, they may very well do that. Don't say they won't. We don't know. What we do know is that the Democrats have become the party of the rich. They always say the Republicans are, and they're the ones giving two-thirds of millionaires a tax cut. The progressives are going to have to decide if they're okay with that. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson. If you want to call on the show, 877-973-7425. Stephen Gatowski, who has been on the program a number of times, uh, put this on Twitter. Uh, There's a poll out, and support for stricter gun control in this country has cratered. I actually find this very interesting. According to Stephen Gatowski at TheReload.com, only 19% of Americans support banning the possession of handguns. That's down six points from 2020 and down 41 points from 1961. That's a significant decline uh, over time. This is a poll from Gallup. And the number of people who uh, America's desire for stricter gun laws falls to its lowest point since 2010. In general, do you feel that the laws covering the sale of firearms should be made more strict, less strict, or kept as they are now? Uh, More strict is 52%. Uh, Kept as they are now is 35% and less strict is 11%. So you got 52% favor more strict gun laws, but that's actually pretty significant uh, because at one point you had 67%. uh, That was back in, it looks like 2018. And all the way back in 1990, you had 78%. It has fallen Remarkably, uh, particularly the collapse in handgun, uh, the demand for regulations and and laws and bans of handguns. Now, one of the reasons corresponds to the crime wave in the nation. And this is something that Democrats need to understand as they have gone full defund the police and let the criminals out of jail. Americans have responded. Now, you can think I'm mischaracterizing the Democrats on this. Democrats do think I'm mischaracterizing them. The fact is, though, that's what the public processes as the Democratic rhetoric, let people out of jail and defund the police. There is a crime wave across the country, and Democrats are the ones who get the blame for it in the polling. 
It's no wonder American support for gun ownership has gone up. In fact, the number one purchaser of new guns in this country are women. In fact, it's black women who are the largest purchasers of guns lately. They got to keep themselves safe because progressives are the ones who want to defund the police in black neighborhoods, thinking that they're doing some sort of favor to the black families. They're not. They're making it more dangerous in their neighborhoods. Democrats don't seem to understand any of this stuff. I, I, I need a new gun. I haven't bought a gun in a while. I can't decide what I want. Well, I kind of know what I want. Um, I also want to suppress. I don't have any suppressors. I want a suppressor. It's been a while since I've been to the gunnery. Bullets are so expensive right now. Uh, and, you know, the bullets are expensive not because there's, there's a lot of conspiracy talk out there right now on why is ammunition so hard to get and why is it so expensive. It is a supply and demand problem. So many people are buying so many guns that they're buying ammunition to go with their guns. Other people are stockpiling their ammunition because of the crime wave. It has nothing to do with government regulation at this point. I've got, you know, um, I've got friends of mine up at Ackworth, Georgia. True Precision, they advertised on the program for a while. Uh, True Precision, I've got a uh, Glock 43X handgun from them. It's got a camo pattern. My gosh, they do beautiful work. I love them. Uh, their website's True Precision. The problem is, in fact, I'm going to go over there now. True Precision. Um, they make components for guns. They make slides. They make barrels. Uh, they make a, a lot of really cool stuff uh, for guns. And their problem is that there are so many of them right now. Uh, there's so many guns being bought right now that True Precision's having to buy its own manufacturing milling equipment to be able to keep up with demand. And they're not alone. I've talked to a, a gun manufacturer down in South Georgia, makes a lot of very popular rifles in the country and says that, that they can't keep up with the demand. And they're afraid of building out new factories. And this is the key with ammunition as well. They're afraid of investing in new factories because they all kind of think this is going to go away at some point. This, this will collapse. And then they'll be left with these factories that they own and have to pay taxes on and there will be a glut of guns. They're concerned about that. At some point, though, I'm given the number of gun buyers and the gun buying keeps going up, at some point, something's going to flip here. Um, but my gosh, I mean, I, I'm looking on true precision, true-precision.com. I'm looking right now, and gosh, they make such gorgeous stuff for guns, but it's just so hard to get right now. Ooh, they've got a CZ model now. Ooh, um, sorry. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to get stuff right now when it comes to guns because so many people are buying, which should tell you everything you need to know about how people perceive crime these days. And okay, I'm back. Sorry. I was making sure I put up the recipe on how I smoke a turkey. Um, you can get the turkey recipe by texting recipe to 33777. I guess I'll, yeah, I'll send this out as an email um, as well because I got my turkey brine recipe. I got my gravy recipe. I've got my uh, breakfast recipes. So they're all there if you want any new recipes. Uh, there are lots of other recipes there as well. Um, now, we got other stuff to do. I just want to make sure that I send this email out to all the people who want it. Uh, I So I do a smoked turkey I had been doing a big green egg in the past, and now I've got my Rectech, and so I'll do it on the pellet grill. Actually, you know what? I'm not even cooking the turkey this year. Um, my father-in-law is doing the turkey, and that's fine with me. i got to be on the road tomorrow, so I will, I'll let him do it, and I'll be fine not doing a ton of cooking this year. Although, I may have to make gumbo. 
I have not made gumbo yet. And normally, I make gumbo. And my gumbo is a great gumbo that everybody loves except my wife and kids. And my wife used to eat it, but she can't eat a lot of stuff that has, has spice in it now. So she doesn't eat it as much. But I guess I'll send out the gumbo recipe for how you convert your, your Thanksgiving turkey into a gumbo after you're tired of the turkey. All right. I got other stuff to move on, on to, though, because there's so much. And again, uh, a lot of this uh, show prep was great today because I had so much stuff to talk about after yesterday's show. I never got to. Like, oh, I can talk about it today. It's still relevant. Now, one of those things, and this is so infuriating, this is from uh, chalkbeat.com, Essential Education Reporting in Detroit. This is, oh my gosh. I heard about this and was infuriated. This, again, is from chalkbeat.com. The Detroit School District is moving to remote instruction for three Fridays in December. A decision district officials attributed to concerns about mental health, COVID, and school cleanliness. The move was announced Wednesday on the district's website. It comes as the state is leading the nation in new COVID cases. Students and teachers are expected to show up online for remote learning on those days. Superintendent Nikolai Vidi said in the statement that he and the school board made the decision after listening and reflecting on the concerns of school-based leaders, teachers, support staff, students, and families regarding the need for mental health relief, rising COVID cases, and time to more thoroughly clean schools. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but COVID apparently does not affect people on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You don't have to worry about COVID on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in Detroit. You can go to school and not worry about it. It's, it's Friday. Oh my gosh, on Friday, COVID looks at a calendar and says, it's Friday, let's infect everybody. It's like at restaurants. At restaurants, there are a couple of restaurants in Atlanta still to this day where you're required to put on your mask to walk through the restaurant because COVID apparently hovers around 5'5 five, five and higher. The moment you sit down, you're safe. You can take off your mask for the rest of the time you're there because COVID doesn't descend. It only floats high in the air. None of this makes sense. I saw a doctor on Twitter who said that he longed to be able to take his three-year-old to the grocery store without putting her at risk of getting COVID. The data, the science medical doctor, the science says your child is at no risk. Your child will be fine. People are living by fear. This is a failure. This is a failure in Detroit to do what they're doing. It is hijacking families, disrupting families. It is anti-science, and it comes on the heels of teacher union pressure in Detroit. There's going to be a voter backlash to this stuff. There will be a voter backlash. They don't seem to care. You know, we have not actually seen in this country massive spreading of COVID. Now, it has happened in high schools. But it hasn't been terrible. It hasn't been what they said. Here in Georgia, when schools reopened, 
Many of them went without mask mandates, and there was not this massive wave of COVID coming through. And you never heard about that. I, I Again, y'all, I'm convinced now that so much of the reporting on COVID is based on the PTSD of reporters who lived in New York and Los Angeles and saw hospitals filling up when it wasn't like that in most of the rest of the nation. Now, there were certainly parts of the nation. Albany, Georgia, can't discount that one. Per capita, Albany, Georgia was one of the hardest hit places in the nation, in if not the world, and it's a smaller community in southern Georgia. And there was a funeral where a preacher preached. He had COVID and spread it throughout the church community who then spread it into the community. A lot of people died. And that city has gotten back up on its feet and it's moved forward. There are a lot of reporters who do not want to move forward. And now we're learning about all the other fallout from COVID. This is from the Washington Post. Here's the headline. 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses in 12 months during the pandemic. The U.S. drug epidemic reached another terrible milestone Wednesday when the government announced that more than 100,000 people had died of overdoses between April of 2020 and April of 2021. It is the first time that drug-related deaths have reached six figures in any 12-month period. The people who died, 275 every day, would fill the stadium where the University of Alabama plays football. Together, they equal the population of Roanoke, Virginia. The new data shows there are now more overdose overdose deaths from the illegal synthetic opioid fentanyl than there were overdose deaths for all drugs in 2016. Despite the efforts of governments, healthcare providers, activists, and others, the problem is growing much worse. The new figures, which are provisional but rarely change much in final tallies, represent a 28.5% increase from the same period a year earlier. The financial, social, mental health, housing, and other difficulties of the COVID-19 pandemic are widely blamed for much of the increase. People predicted this would happen. We've talked about kids going to school in this country with their faces covered and what that would do. Remember that there was a whole bunch of data, the American Pediatric Society on kids need facial recognition in order to learn. They need uh, to see people's faces in order to learn emotion and to connect. And when the government came out and said kids needed to keep their masks on in school, the American Pediatric Association memory holds a lot of that data and says, oh, no, there's there's no research in this. They had it up on their website. I wish I were making that up. The willingness of progressives in this country, of the left, to cast dispersions on settled science if it doesn't meet their agenda is something someone someday needs to write about and document because it's bad. And in this, there is so much science. There is so much data now. I'm going to be a little controversial here. I am I am going to be a little bit controversial. I put up a Instagram piece on masks a while back. I wound up taking it down because people have gotten so dogmatic about masks that no one would listen to what I said. 
They just wanted to state their own opinion and tell me I was wrong without ever listening to what I had said. We have global studies on masks now. Well-documented studies on masks. And masks helped reduce the spread of COVID initially, but we now know the percentage. It was only about 10%. In other words, masks actually aren't that effective. But during the time of a global pandemic, when hospitals were being overwhelmed, they made sense. Even a 10% reduction could be enough between oxygen or no oxygen. wasn't enough between whether a hospital filled up or not, but it could be enough between whether hospitals ran out of supplies or not which during the middle of a global pandemic, like in New York and Los Angeles, when hospitals were overwhelmed, so overwhelmed, they were using meat lockers to store bodies because there were so many deaths. I would argue that made sense. I know some of you disagree. And our healthcare officials made matters worse by reversing themselves repeatedly. First, it's don't buy masks, then don't wear masks, then everybody needs to wear a mask. We now have the real data on the masks. And if we're in a global pandemic, yeah, I think masking to some degree, if hospitals are overwhelmed, everybody's on lockdown, it makes a little bit of sense. At this point, it doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense at all now. It doesn't make any sense because we are in an endemic situation, not a pandemic situation. And if masks only during a global pandemic with 100% compliance reduce it by 10%, uh, they ain't going to reduce it now. There's no more reason for companies to be masking employees. There's no more reason to wear masks on airplanes. There's really no more reason for the masks. We have a lot of data out there. We know now as well that the six-foot distance is garbage. We know now that The virus, because of the way it transmits in the air through multiple mutations, six feet isn't enough. It was all designed as a street theater anyway by the feds to give people an appearance, a feeling of safety. So the social distancing aspect of it is kind of out the window. The masks are kind of out the window. You know what works? The vaccines, they work to reduce hospital overflows. They, They work to reduce deaths. But all that being said, we need to start recognizing that like the flu, COVID's not going away. But unlike the flu, COVID is less dangerous to our children. So for schools to want to shut down on Fridays like in Detroit, that's garbage. For the government to want you to get your five-year-old vaccinated, that's kind of garbage too. If you want your five-year-old to get vaccinated, do it. If your five-year-old has a um, immune compromise, immune compromise, get your child vaccinated if you can. But it's time for us to just live our lives again. The data suggests COVID isn't going away. The data suggests the vaccine has not worked the way everyone wanted it to, that over time, immunity goes down. So we might as well just live our lives because we can't be cooped up forever. And the willingness of governments to keep us cooped up, again, I, I disagree with those who say it's all about controlling us. No, it's because they're living in fear. They're living in fear because they promised us that we would get rid of COVID and we're not going to. They don't know what to do. The science has failed them. They've worshiped at the altar of science and science has failed them. They don't know what to do now. They're living by fear. The best way to live is to live. 
and you're not living when you're wrapping your hands in, in latex and putting masks on your face and not going outside. I, I, there was, I passed a woman this morning. I wasn't going to say this, and now I might as well. She was wearing a, a wide-brimmed hat, and she had like like cellophane or something down over the front of it like a face shield and a mask on. She was walking in the neighborhood. I have no idea. I, I'm, I, I don't know. She was, she, I mean, there was nobody around. I was driving to Chick-fil-A to get some breakfast about 10 o'clock this morning. This woman was coming down the road by my house. It's time to just move on. I wish I could move on from the topic, but there's so much out there. All these people in fear scenarios, we have a loss of trust in our institutions because our institutions have lacked the humility to admit when they got things wrong. We have increased alcohol consumption. Listen, I'll be honest and speak for myself. I have had to catch myself on this over the last year. I hang out with friends on Sunday night and then hanging out on Sunday night was becoming hanging out on two or three nights a week. And, and, the bourbon was flowing. I'm like, I, this is, this is not healthy. I know a lot of people who have just exceeded it. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who recently lost a friend. It turned out that his friend was consuming a bottle of bourbon a day and his liver failed. I, I can't even fathom that. And being locked down and home alone let a lot of bad habits fester for a lot of people. Now we have these drug overdoses, record-setting drug overdoses. Uh, our society was already having cultural and spiritual problems, and COVID pushed a lot of people over the edge. And our government is trying to double down on, on all the things that push those people over the edge instead of telling people to come back out of the shadows and live their life and move on. I would tell you in all honesty and sincerity if you're in charge of a business, it's time to stop living in fear and making your employees live in fear and let them take the masks off. The federal government should get rid of the mask mandates on planes. It's time. We are allowing people to live in fear at this point. We are allowing fear to fester. The easiest, best, quickest way to get life back to normal is to allow everyone to take off their masks and see each other again and behave as if it's normal and now start treating COVID like the flu. It can sweep through businesses. You encourage people to get the shot. You bring people to the office to give them the vaccine and otherwise you leave them alone and life goes on. But life can't go on until we admit COVID's never going away. Welcome back. Let's go take a phone call now, shall we? From Eric, you're going to be up first. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hello. Hi there. Hello. Hey, can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was commenting, I was listening to you when you said about the social distancing, and that's a bunch of garbage. Oh. Uh, uh-oh. Sorry, man. Uh, I actually pushed the wrong button. Uh, Eric, call back. I'm sorry. That was my mistake. Um, I thought we were headed somewhere bad. Uh, it wasn't the Eric I thought it was, if I'm honest with y'all. And I thought we were about to head to bad words. Uh, so, uh, Eric, call back. That's my fault. I will get you as soon as we come back because I don't have enough time to get another phone call. Um, thought we were talking to the different Eric who works for the airline who sometimes calls, but now on his social distancing point, um, you know, COVID is airborne. 
in particulate now. The, it was originally, the idea was that it was big droplets. And it was originally, but COVID has over time mutated. And as it has mutated now, the, the particulate in which COVID spreads is smaller. And so it floats in the air longer, like measles does. And so you can spread it. But also notice this. While people are getting COVID, take Vermont, for example. Vermont now has the highest contraction rate of COVID in the country. And Vermont also has the highest rate of uh, vaccination in the country. And the result is that they got the highest rate of COVID. Yes, let me say it again. They've got the highest vaccine rate in the country, and they've also got the highest COVID spread in the country, but they have one of the lowest hospitalization rates in the country. So the vaccine in that regard does work. The vaccine works to keep people out of the hospital, and the vaccine works to keep people from dying. It does not necessarily work to keep people from getting COVID, but you start getting COVID with the vaccine and it turns into a mild flu or asymptomatic and that just bolsters your immune system even further and that's good. All right, uh, the phone number is 877-973-7425. Eric, call back if you want. I'm sorry, that was my fault. I'll take your phone call when we come back and everybody else as well. And then we got to move on uh, to the Veterans Administration. Y'all, there's a story out there that is going to blow your mind about the VA, and you need to hear about this. I've got the details. It's horrific, and we got to do something about the VA. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 